Huh. Getting ready to take you down, boy. Getting ready to take you down, boy. Getting ready to take you down, boy. Boy, boy, huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm back in this thing. Yeah, I'm back in this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey. Welcome to another episode of the greatest podcast you never heard. Melanin dripping off each and every word. The abstract, the obscure, and the absurd. This is colorful language, love. I. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I was gone last week and, uh, I'm sorry to those of you who was looking for the latest episode of the world's greatest podcast. I was in ATL, shouted with my partner, them B Miller and the Baby D Gang. What's happening? <laughs> What's cracking? You feel me though? Uh, yeah. So, what I'm gonna do this week is give you a little two party to make up for my missing action. Uh, not only that, but I let the Bay take over this show. We trade in places, you know, just like Usher, ATL, it kind of ties all together. So let's just go ahead and get into it. So did you know that children's third grade reading level dictates how many prisons are built in this country? Think about that for a second. Third grade reading level, that determines how they're going to build prison systems. That's insane. And you know where that's targeted? To the brown baby. So this episode is going to be talking about K through 12 education as it relates to the African-American community and how we as a community can support our brown babies. So keep it locked. It's colorful language, little boy. The truth of the matter is, is that American culture at this point, what is truly American is black culture, black culture, black culture. If black Twitter had a voice, it'd probably sound a little something like this. Keep it up, my nigga, my nigga, my nigga. All right, hello, colorful listeners. This is not Friday Beats. This is your girl, Keela. And like I said, I am hosting the show today. And today we're going to be talking about K-12 education. I'm super excited to be taking over. Um, today I have on the show with me, Brian. Brian, say hello to the people. Hello, how's everybody doing? <laughs> this is perfect. So Brian is actually um, someone I just recently met. I'm super excited to um, become hopefully really close friends with Brian and his family, his wife, beautiful wife, by the way, um, beautiful spirit. And so today, Brian, just tell us a little bit about what you do. What is your title? Oh, well, I am a well, actually, I just trans I'm transitioning right now. I was a seventh grade social studies teacher which I, I had been doing for eight years now, but I just learned last week that I will be moving up to the high school level this next upcoming school year. I'm not quite sure what subject I'll be teaching yet, but it will be high school social studies. But I just found out last week that I was, um, with consolidation, I will be moving up to the high school level. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. Um, are you super excited about it? How do you feel moving from middle school to high school? I would say I'm, I'm not gonna say I'm excited cause I've done it before. So, but I'm interested to see what, see how this plays out. That's what I would say to see how I can grow from this new experience. That's a good way of looking at it. Like a new challenge, but something exciting. Um, how long have you been teaching? Well, this going, this, this will be my 10th year. That's a long time. Yeah, it's been quite a while. It's actually, it's funny how fast time moves along. Cause I can remember my first year like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of weird. And now I'm saying I've been in the game for 10 years. 
Yeah, you almost, I think that's like almost veteran status, right? Like when you say, when you hit those double digits. Oh, you're, de- you're, you're definitely veteran status. I mean, you're a well-seasoned vet in 10 years. I think around about three, four years, you're considered a veteran. Mm-hmm. But 10 years, you're well-seasoned. You should have it mastered. <laughs> well, perfect. Then I, I hope you like all the luck, like moving into high school. That was that was actually what I taught when I did do some teaching. It was high school, ninth through twelfth grade, and I did theater. Oh, okay, okay. That sounds interesting. I I love theater. I I did theater when I was in high school. I did drama, and you know, I, we did a little dabbling in acting. It was it was very interesting. I enjoyed it a lot. I could see that. I could see you doing a little bit of acting, looking like you know a dark skinned Denzel on stage, right? <laughs> Something like that. Don't be over there commenting on my show. <laughs> Terrence over there talking about something. No. He's just jealous because he could never pull off Denzel. He's a hater. He's a mm-hmm. hater. A big hater. Sit over there and be quiet. Hey, uh-huh. Nanda Miller. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So let's go ahead and move into this icebreaker. So I know you've seen it before, but I'm just going to go ahead and ask the question. What is the craziest thing in your 10 years that you've seen in the classroom? Well, craziest thing I've ever seen in the classroom. We're going to go back to my very first semester teaching. Fresh out of college, I think I was 23 years old. I got a job at an alternative school. Um, I think the teacher had, she had gotten fired. So they brought me in in February. And I was wet behind the ears, had no idea what I was doing, lost in the alternative setting. And for some reason, they asked us to stop locking our doors hmm. because for observation reasons, so that if they want to come in, they could just come in and unlock the doors. And I had an all-girl class, and some this boy, he came into my room and he was pestering the girls. I had this one young lady. She's very. She has a very. She's very. Her temperament is very. She goes from zero to ten very quickly. Mm-hmm. So there was a stepladder in my classroom. Why was there a stepladder in my classroom? I have no idea. I'm not going to say any names for legal purposes, but why was a stepladder in the classroom? I cannot tell you. Mm-hmm. And she grabbed the stepladder. And with all her might, she tried to throw it at him. Oh, she what? was about that action. Yeah, she literally caught it back and tried to launch it. Somehow, but somehow by the grace of God, I caught it with my left hand. Right, right as it left her hand, I caught it. There was a young lady who was going to hit. She was sitting in her desk. I was dividing the venture because I literally caught it with my head as it left her hand and placed it on the floor. And through my years of teaching, I haven't seen anything much crazier than that happen. Wow. Wow. Yeah, she must have been so sick of that guy. Like, I've never in my life thrown anything that size at anybody. Jeez. I mean, I was I was surprised. I didn't expect it. It came out of nowhere. She just grabbed it and I tried to let it go. Hmm. And you protected that other kid that was pregnant. That could have took her whole baby. Yes, it could have. And I mean, I was trying to protect whoever was in the way. I didn't even, I saw the trajectory after I called. I was like, oh, Lord Jesus. Mm. I was like, thank God I caught it. You are a good one. I've known some teachers that that just refuse to go to alternative schools. Like, that's just like, they're just not even on the radar for them. So kudos for you for even going there and like making a difference in the classroom there. Like, that was awesome. Oh, yes. I mean, that was my first job. And I, I say I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I can honestly say, like, in my experience in the classroom, which was very short-lived, it was just a year. 
Um, I didn't actually have like super crazy students. I, I got super lucky that my students were pretty like super mellow. But um, I do have some other friends that teach and one friend in particular shared this story with me about middle school. Um, and I can't say where, you know, because they're kids and I can't say any names. But this kid in particular, these two kids um, got caught in the bathroom. Sixth grade. Yep. Sixth grade. And the girl was, I mean, for lack of a better term, she was sucking dick in the bathroom. Oh, goodness. Yeah. And uh, this is during the day. They got caught. The little boy not only was video recording her, threw it out there on Instagram for the world to see. So now all these kids are sharing it in the classroom. And my friend who's the teacher is trying to tell them, put your phones away. I'm going to confiscate your phones. We can't talk about this. And of course, the kids are trying to show her like, hey, Miss Miss, let me show you this. And she was like, I I can't look at this. Don't want to see nothing. Right. I don't want to see anything. Oh, my gosh. And then in addition to that, when the parents got involved, they actually pressed charges on the little girl for sexual assault. Wow. We're talking sixth grade. So what? What? That's 11 years old. Yes, that's true. I mean, they're both minors, but I'm sexual assault. Mm-hmm. That's what they were. But the was... thing is, with the video, every kid who shared that video, showed that video, could have charges pressed against them for child pornography. Exactly. And that, that was exactly what, you know, the teachers were trying to tell the kids, like, you can't share this, you know, this, that, and the third. But, you know, children don't, they ain't listening to that. I've heard of cases where children have shared stuff, and they, they've gone to jail and have to register as sex offenders for the rest of their life just off sharing a video or showing a video that they recorded. Wow. I mean, I get it on one end, you know what I mean? Like, cause you want to protect the kids that are in the videos. Like you don't want that to be shared. But on the other side, it's like, can you really expect these kids to know that the consequences of sharing it are that detrimental? That is true. They, they have no idea. They just think they just, they just think I'm sharing a video. We're going to laugh at it, make fun of whoever's in it. Mm-hmm. I think about the consequences that come with it, mm-hmm. and I mean, I mean, they're desensitized to a lot of stuff. I don't mm-hmm. know how long ago this was, but if you're talking about this age of child, they don't, they have no sense of what's appropriate or not anymore. Oh yeah, this was I think uh, last year or year before, so it was recent. Oh yeah, they have no, they have no understanding of what's appropriate because they, they see everything. They're online, they're desensitized to everything, so nothing is out of the norm. Nothing is inappropriate. They share it all. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 definitely a different beast that these kids are, are exposed to and that they do. It, it's it's alarming. It's a little scary. It really is. Trust me, I, hey, I've heard and seen a whole lot. Mm, mm. Well, I'm excited to get into this these summer. Ooh, let me say that again. I am excited to get into some of these other topics as well. So I've got a lot of different notes. I think uh, I'm just going to try and feed off of you, though, and give you a lot of space to be able to talk and share, because having 10 years of experience is way more than I have in K through 12. Most of my most of my education, as far as my experience in the classroom, has been uh, college. So it's higher level. Um, So I'm definitely going to give you a lot of space to talk. Um, But the first thing that we kind of want to discuss is the responsibility of the teacher versus the parent when it comes to educating our youth. So could you tell me what are some bullet points or some thoughts that you have as far as where the teacher is responsible versus where the parent is responsible? Well, I think the teacher is responsible for teaching the child, you know, educating the child, teaching the standards, making sure that the, the children, the students, they understand the material that's being placed in front of them and using the best practices that they can find to 
relay that information to the child so the child can understand it so that they can um, convey it, use the information to better themselves and further, you know, expand on their education. Now, we're, which, that's what we're responsible for. I do feel like they expect us to do a whole lot more because I feel like at the same point in time they expect we're, we're kind of babysitters, we're, we're nurturers, we're counselors, we're, we're policemen, we, we do all these other things in the classroom as well. So I feel like our, our responsibility on paper is to educate the child. You know, but our responsibility in actuality is a whole broad array of different things we're supposed to be doing. Or what, what that we have to do actually. Like I said, we're counselors, we're, we're, we, we broker peace between students, we, we have to, you know, build them up, build up their self-esteem, um, just hear them be a shoulder to cry on or lean on or just, just let, us, let them know how they're feeling. We have to pay attention to see if, if something's going on with a student, something out of, it just seems, seems out of line, out of hand, you know, if a student seems to be not being taken care of properly, all those things, you know, the teacher expects to catch. Mm-hmm. You know, child's being abused or anything of that nature. We're expecting to catch all those things on top of teaching the child the, the information, also teaching them how to act, how to live in society, what's the what are what are what's normal, what's not normal, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, you know, how to conduct themselves. That's all those fall in the the responsibilities of a teacher. Mm-hmm. That you know, those are that aren't the written responsibilities of a teacher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, when you get a job description and it says something like, you know, and other duties as a sign. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I you know, it's interesting. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no. You finish your statement. I said, I need you to put out the other responsibilities that are assigned. Please let me know. <laughs> right. Can we just put them all in parentheses and like just spell them out so I don't have to guess what my job is? And five pages later, I'm like, okay, let me sign you. <laughs> That's true. That's really true. Um, Because the other thing I was thinking about when I was thinking about teachers, because I do think that the expectations of teachers nowadays, I I can't speak for old like what it was before, but I can't imagine that a lot of people wanted to be teachers if they, you know, back in the 1950s or 1960s, if they thought for some reason that they were going to also have to parent people's kids. Very true. You know, Um, but I think about other barriers that I think teachers are also expected to... um, you know, to, uh, to take care of and to address would be like having different language barriers in the classroom. It seems like now if you're multilingual, you know, and, and you can speak Spanish and English, then they want you even more in the classroom because we're, we're getting in some areas in the country. We have a lot of Spanish speaking students that don't speak English. It's just a very different kind of conversation piece that you have to have. Whereas, you know, you go to other countries they don't really deal with that as much. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to go to Britain and have a child that only speaks Spanish in your classroom. That is true. Mm-hmm. So having oh, I, to be this, this melting pot, right? Yes, that is very true. Yeah. I've dealt with a few. It's not as, as heavy where I've worked. I've dealt, I maybe I deal with maybe one or two a year. And in my experience, I've really only dealt with like one or two who worked pretty much fluent in English by the time I worked with them. By the time I worked with them, they they were very fluent in English and they were actually excelling in the curriculum. Mm. So mm. I haven't had, had a, someone who just had no, who was speaking little to no English. I've really dealt with more so kids who've been in the system since they were five, six, seven, 
Um, they were ESLL students, but they were pretty much on that. They've been in the program so long where they've learned English. And I'm like, I didn't even know. I had students I didn't even know were ESLL students because they were thriving at the in the top of some of my classes. I didn't even know they were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then getting back to your point, too, about being a mental health counselor. I was thinking about sexual orientation in the classroom because, you know, especially in that middle school, that's when they're figuring themselves out. I've just recently been dealing with that more in the classroom, like in the last three or so years. That was something that you saw here and there, but it's becoming more and more prevalent in the classroom in the last two or three years. I actually had a student, I can't say any names, like I say, and the first day of class, I'm calling the role. And it's a girl, it's a young lady, but I'm looking, I don't see, I don't, I don't see a young lady. And they're like, that's her over there. That's what a boy, what are you, what are you talking about? They're like, no, Mr. Passel. Mm. said, fine. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'm, 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 I apologize, I'm so sorry, you know. And I was like, and I was, I was just baffled at, I was just, oh. And it's, it's becoming more and more prevalent in, in each year you're seeing it more and more. You know, young, young kids who, they just, they're identifying as, I don't even know the correct thing to say, so I don't mm-hmm. even want to, I don't want to step out of line. Yeah, no, I, I understand what you're saying. Like, when you have someone who at 11, 12 years old has decided that they are transgender, right? Or that they are, you know, whatever they identify as, because there's a plethora of things that they could identify as. There's so many things nowadays, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, and they talk about I have a, and you have girls telling you, you have got young ladies telling you I have a girlfriend, things of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you have boys talking about the guys that they have crushes on and things like that. I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and it makes you, it's got to make you wonder, like, are these conversations that you're so freely having in the classroom, are you also having these conversations at home? And that is a great question. Because mm-hmm. I sometimes I wonder are their parents. Are their parents having conversations with them? Let them know that it's okay to have these feelings, but talking to them about just how they feel about it, just what they want. And so I don't, I've seen situations where I don't think they are. Because I think sometimes their parents either want to ignore it and remain oblivious to what's really going on. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think that that falls into where they, they do get depressed, that whole shock of being in the closet and trying to come out the closet to their family. Like that's a real process that they have to deal with. And a lot of students that identify in the LGBTQ community, they, they end up having higher depression, suicide rates, um, especially in black males. Um, so it's definitely something that I wish that we had had training on. I don't know about you, but I know I didn't have any training on it with my teaching degree. Did you? No, I did not. I mean, that wasn't an issue really when I was in school. That wasn't really a. I mean, it's it's not an issue. It's not an issue, but it's it's something that wasn't quite as prevalent when I first began teaching. But it's become very prevalent in today's classroom, where you where every year you're gonna have one, two, three, four students who who are struggling with who they are. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it. I saw it last year, year before. They're struggling with who they are. They're getting into a lot of arguments, disputes, disagreements with other children. Because they're struggling with who they are, the kids are confused about who they, who that person is, and they're, they're they're making fun of them, and that child is just reaching out for help. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, and the way I see it, just we don't make fun of anybody. Everybody, you know, is an individual. They have a right to be who they want to be, and that's that's what I preach in my classroom. Mm-hmm. I let I let them know if you ever want to talk. You know, we go to the counselor. You can talk to me. I'll talk to you as much as I can, give you as much knowledge as I have, mm-hmm. and if need we can, I can. 
seen to the counselor, the guidance counselor, or you know, the school psychologist. I, I, whatever I can do to help, I'll do what I can. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the thought I had about teacher responsibility was the communication with the parents, like no matter the response. Um, can you speak to that a little bit? Like how often would you say teachers need to communicate with parents with what's happening in the classroom? Often, frequently. <laughs> I, I, just, I just said it like that just to be honest with you because you never want a parent to feel blindsided. Mm-hmm. You never want them to feel blindsided by what's going on. I mean, when it comes to the grades, performance, changing behaviors, um, just changing attitude, misbehaving in the natural, you don't ever want a parent to be blindsided. You want to let them know what's going on, keep frequent contact. Even if a student's doing well, just making contact with that parent to say, hey, Johnny has done a great job for the last three weeks. I know he's been getting in, having some issues as of late, but he's been doing an outstanding job the last three weeks. Mm-hmm. I do think frequent contact with parents just keeps everybody in the know, and it helps the relationship. It helps the relationship between you um, and the parents and the student, because the student knows that you're involved, you care. Um, that you're going to do what you're supposed to do. Yeah, that's for and sure. Parents, and then the parents, they have that trust in you because you're talking to them. And then when, when something goes, if something happens to go awry, they have that trust in you because you've been, you've been keeping in constant contact with you. And they're not coming to the school feeling bombarded or why haven't you said anything to me? And they're usually, they're not quite as combative. Mm-hmm. You have an open line of communication with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it's often going to have that one parent who just flies off the handle and can't help, can't help that. Right, right. Oh, yeah, there's always the one. There's always that one parent that people talk about, right? The teachers are like, oh, that's, that's so-and-so's mama. Mm-hmm. And I would I would say you do run to the issues well, where I've worked, where the parents' numbers are constantly changing. You get disconnect phone, you, you call the number, is disconnected. So I just feel like you got to keep trying because you have to show that you've made that effort. Right. Right. Okay, that's good. So moving on to the parents then. So what are some of the parent responsibilities when it comes to educating the youth? I mean, at the, at the very core, the parent is the first educator a child ever has. The very first educator teacher a child encounters are their parents. Children are learning from their parents, their caregivers, their guardians from the moment they're born. They're, they're observing them and they're learning from them. And sometimes those habits and things that they, they see their parents do are what they consider to be the norm. So parents have to be cognizant of what they're doing in front of their children, what they're saying, how they're presenting themselves, because their children are sponges mm-hmm. and they're to it. Also, some those kids, they need those, the fundamentals are going to start at home with reading and maybe basic math, ABCs, colors. Those things start at home. You know, parents who read to their students, their students tend to be, you know, come in with a little bit of advantage. They work with them outside the school. Um, we need that. We need parents who are going to, you know, check in, check up on their students and make sure that they're behaving. Just pop up from time to time. But I believe that their responsibility is to once again be that, be that first line of defense. You know, they the education starts with them, ingrain those morals within their children to where they understand what's expected of them, the expectations, how they should act, present themselves, how they should interact with people, those around them, the other adults and students have that respect for one another. 
Yeah, I I 100% agree with you. It's so funny that you said basically exactly the same points that I was thinking of, like knowing those success markers, like your reading level, reading comprehension, math skills, colors, things that are just so basic, right? Like I get it that, you know, it might be a little cliche to say, but let your kids watch Sesame Street. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's so many shows out there that they can just watch and they just learn from. Yeah, and I think, and I, I hate to say, you know, throw your kid in front of the TV because that's not the only way of supporting your kids. But if you're going to put them in front of a TV, please let it be a Nick Jr. or whatever. Because I remember Blue's Clues. I learned the planets by singing the Blue's Clues song, okay? I don't know about anybody oh, else. I mean, shows, I, I love shows like Mad at School Bus when I was coming up. Um, Mad at School Bus was the bomb. Build out of science guy. Even Barney. I mean, people make fun of using my, my older brother made fun of me, but I love Barney. And he was. Talking about counting and colors and tying your shoes, cleaning up. Yes. You know, Barney and um, uh, what's his name? The guy that you it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood guy. What's oh, his Mr. name? Rogers, Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers. Yes. Great show. Yes. And, you know, something that those shows in particular, Barney and Mr. Rogers taught that we don't I think we don't reiterate enough nowadays is empathy and being able to relate with people no matter who they are. That is very true, and being accepting and understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that "I Love You" song—it's it, got some layers to it. Like people make fun of it and say that it's you know it's whack or whatever like that. But no, no, no. We really need to come together and, and become a community and love one another, and that's how you do it by having empathy. That is true. Mm-hmm. And it taught me a lot. I mean, I was—I glued to the TV while Barney was on, and I just—I I just learned a lot from shows like that. Like I said, Sesame Street, Barney. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Eureka's Castle, all these shows that were the magic school was Bill Not Science Guy. Mm-hmm. They teach you how to interact with one another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a problem that a lot of kids have because they don't know how to interact with one another anymore. Oh, you just said a mouthful right there. That's the show, people. That's it. <laughs> um, yeah, that that's it. That is it. Um, one other thing that I did put down was just like being involved and that might not be being a PTA parent because I know for me personally, I can't always make PTA events because I work my full day schedule. I might have night events or I've got things going on on the weekend, so I can't always go to every PTA, but I try my best to like know the administrators. I know who the PTA people are. You know what I mean? Know the teachers by name, that what subjects they teach my child. And I and I think that trying to be involved in your child's life is really what we're getting at with parents. Like the more involved you are with that and with the teachers and with what your kids going through, the more successful your child is going to be inside the classroom and outside the classroom. Oh, yes, I, I, I definitely agree. One thing a teacher loves is an involved parent. Mm-hmm. Love involved parents. We love them. Love, yeah. love, love, love them. Yes. Go ahead. I mean, oh, you no, you're fine. I was just going to say, especially when I taught theater, we love to see parents bringing the kids dinners or like well, working on the show with us, building a set. Like we we were all about it. We love oh, volunteers. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Volunteer parents. Those are some of the best ones. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I mean, the parent that calls, send an email, calls to check on their student, shows up comes to the class let me sit in for a little while just to observe see how they're doing talk to you come come after school events come to games i mean just those those parents the, the ones that are supportive you know even but sometimes you have a little overbearing parent who's like you don't have to come this much now <laughs> <laughs> okay mm-hmm. you know your daughter has straight a's right 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 and doesn't get in any trouble <laughs> <laughs> no that parent said we we get this education together Oh, you know, that's what it is. 
coming to learn too. That's right. <laughs> but I mean, you know, sometimes you know, you know, he only made a B. You probably don't have to fuss at him today. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I mean, a B is not bad. I just wanted to let you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. um, and it's so funny because helicopter parents look y'all get them in high school and trust and believe me we get them when they come to college too oh my gosh how, how is that because I see I, I just don't understand as a college professor how do you or working in the collegiate level how do you deal with a helicopter parent because you don't have to deal with them well <laughs> it's interesting it, well what usually happens is it comes to a head at some point. We do have FERPA, which helps us as far as like the federal privacy laws that helps us with not having to tell the parents everything. Like if they can't just call us up and ask what grade they got in anything because we do have the law behind us that says we can't we can't disclose that because the student, by the time they get to us, they are an adult. So we do have to treat them that way. But there are parents that believe like because I'm paying for this degree, you're going to tell me whatever it is I'm asking you about my kid. Um yeah. And we even get the parents that show up to their advising appointments, things like that. They're taking more notes than the kids. They know the curriculum more than the kids. And so for me, I always try and be really tactful and bring it back around to address the student in those kind of meetings and say, hey, you know, parent, I understand that you want to be successful. You want to help your student be successful. However, the best way for you to do that is to let your student do xyz if that's taking the notes while i'm talking give that pen and paper to your student because this is his degree you know what i mean and and parents trust me i'm sure i've offended plenty of parents and they don't like it but it really they need to hear it yeah they need to hear it you got to let it go because at the end of the day the person that's taking the test and sitting in the classroom is not the parent gotta cut that cord let it go Mm Mm-hmm. yeah well and you know the other thing with me is i don't really have any repercussions if I make a parent upset then the parents just upset you know what I mean like it doesn't really affect me it doesn't affect my work performance or anything like that so but I try to be as nice as I can you know I'm not I'm not really a mean person I mean, it's gonna be rude but you know sometimes you have to say alright it's okay mm-hmm. I mean this is your, your name's not going on this diploma or your name's not going on this degree mm-hmm. so I mean I've had a situation I had a situation I'm once again where parents want to send everything home send all the work home I'll say if they didn't do it in class, why am I? I mean, mm-hmm. I understand homework, but all the work. So pretty much what you're telling me, send it home to you so you can do it. Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know, I can say like for me, like that was my biggest fear being a parent because I'm I'm a workhorse. Like I see a job, I see something that needs to get done, and I'm just gonna jump in and do it. And so with my daughter, you know, she has a lot of different projects that she has to do for school, and it tears me up when she waits to the last minute to do it, or she. Oh. Oh, I just get so I get all up in arms and I get like antsy and I'm like, have you done it? Have you started your project? Did you do this? Did you do that? And she's like, no, I've got plenty of time knowing dang on well, she got a day and a half to do the work and it's going to take more time. That That is a hard task. Just sitting back and watching them procrastinate and wait until that last minute. Because I know that's something my parents had to slowly realize is that, hey, if he if he doesn't do it, it's on him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if, yeah. if they don't do it, it's on them and they have to suffer the consequences. They have to. You can remind them, talk to them, but at the end of the day, when I was in high school, my dad said, hey, you got to want it for yourself, and if you don't want it, there's nothing I can really, I can't make you do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's not going to benefit you in the long run. That's it. And I've, I've had to let my daughter take it all. You know, she she went to school, the project wasn't done, she cried her little eyes out, and she oh, went in I there. Was, and- 
Oh yeah, she can't. Mm-hmm. She cried once she realized it was real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Look, she ain't never had a late project since. Oh yeah, it hits different when the F hits. You're like, whoa, this this is, this happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I didn't. I didn't know. This, you really gonna give me an F? Can I, what can I do? Can I make it up? Can I? Can I get an extra day? Can I please t- take ten points, please? Right. 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 Anything but fail. Anything. Yes. Mm-hmm. Powerful language.